Frontline health workers face the fear of COVID infection every day. Almost one in five account for infections. Yet added to that fear and anxiety is the ongoing threat of intimidation or muzzling by healthcare administrators. Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. We heard about this disconcerting issue back at the beginning of this pandemic. Physicians and nurses being told not to speak to the media or face the wrath. Fired, suspended, disciplined for speaking out about concerns they face every day. The latest incident occurred on Thursday as Dr. Brooks Fallis of the William Osler Health Center in Peel. He was the interim medical director and his performance reviews were excellent. He had already been offered a new contract. And then he said members of the senior leadership team pointed out he was not going to get that position because of his critical comments of the province's pandemic response. Coming up on the Unpublished Cafe, we'll speak with Doris Grinspun. She is the CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario, and we'll hear what her members are dealing with. Our unpublished.vote question asks, do you feel physicians and nurses need whistleblower protection? Yes, no, or unsure? You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote and have your voice heard. First, I am pleased to be joined by Jim Brophy's adjunct assistant professor in the Department of Sociology, Anthropology, and Criminology at the University of Windsor. He's one of the co-authors of a report into the impact of harassment on healthcare workers, and he joins us now. And, and Jim, first off, what sparked this study? Well, um, <clears throat> The, the genesis of this work, particularly added in relation to the silencing of healthcare workers, began in, uh, in 2016 when we published a study called um, Assaulted and Unheard, which was about violence in the hospitals. And we went on in 2019 to do a study about violence in long-term care uh, facilities. And in both of these studies, one of the major uh, revelations for us as occupational health researchers was the fear and intimidation that so many healthcare workers faced. Uh, during this research and in this process, we interviewed over 100 uh, healthcare workers, nurses, personal support workers, uh, custodians, dietary, uh, administrators, uh, you know, secretaries, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And what came out was this this fear that if they said anything about what their conditions were or what was going on in their facilities, they would be intimidated. There would be fear of reprisals. Uh, one of the leaders uh, within the Ontario Council of Hospital Unions, QP, she was actually fired for speaking at a conference about her concerns about violence in the workplace, didn't even name her facility. So these, these issues of, of violence was what first, you know, brought to our attention that, that these work environments were such that people were working on a day-to-day -day basis under the, the, the acts of being uh, fired or disciplined for even considering talking about their conditions. And that's one of the reasons I should say that violence has become so prevalent in the healthcare system now that it's literally by most of the healthcare workers just considered part of the job. Now, now when you're talking about violence, we're talking about perhaps patients reacting 
you're not talking about other nurses and doctors impacting her. No, the studies, yeah. the, the most prevalent uh, form of violence is uh, patients or family members on staff, mm. type two violence. Right. Okay. And, and it was so prevalent that, you know, uh, almost 70% of the nurses said that they had been physically assaulted at least once in the last year. 90% had been, a, 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 you know, verbally assaulted. Um, a great deal of even um, sexual harassment and sexual assault, but nobody knew about this. It wasn't, I shouldn't say nobody, the public in general didn't know about this. Why? Even researchers like ourselves, we were completely dumbfounded by it. And it's because the atmosphere in these institutions um, simply won't tolerate anyone speaking about what is actually happening. And that has enormous effects. It certainly does around the issue of violence, but it has enormous effects now in the pandemic when there were so many mistakes uh, and, and drop balls, especially early on, but still continuing to this day, that had not only a dramatic effect, as you mentioned earlier, about the rate of infection among healthcare workers, which is, you know, 20%. I mean, talk about, uh, you know, mm. a, a public health disaster, but think of what, what's gone on in long-term care. I mean, you cannot go a day where, you know, you don't get one of your top news uh, stories isn't, you know, 30, 40, 50 uh, residents and staff dying in long-term care. And we're a year into this pandemic, two or three and, days. And I was going to say this pandemic has certainly uh, uncovered a lot of uh, discrepancies or uh, the unevenness of, of society. That's for sure. Now, now, Jim, there's 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 one thing. Okay, doctors and physicians when they when they go public and complain about whether it's lack of PPE, lack of this, what, whatever it is, if they're pointing out a failure in safety at their workplace, and that's what this is, it's a workplace, isn't there an obligation to report because it affects the safety of the workplace? Aren't they obligated to report that? And isn't management administration supposed to embrace that as well? Well, yes, yes, <laughs> to your question. Yes, the law requires that, I mean, you know, one of the groups, people that get fined the most now under our new regime in occupational health are, are workers who fail to, you know, properly exercise their, their obligations and rights under the under the law. Uh, yes, they're supposed to, this this culture of safety was actually something that the SARS Commission in 2006 highlighted the lack of it that the a culture of safety in our healthcare system was so um, broken that they specifically mandated recommended that the Ministry of Labor and the Ministry of Health refocus themselves on the healthcare system to create a, a climate in which, uh, you know, workers felt secure enough that their voices would be heard. I mean, it, it's, it's true, you know, I mean, we, it, medicine and healthcare is a very hierarchical uh, system. You have doctors generally on the top, and then you have a whole series of other occupations that kind of go down the hierarchy. And it's, it's, it's a very big mistake from a public health point of view uh, especially if, if you will, during a, such a crisis as the pandemic, that we are not listening to frontline physicians who and nurses that are, you know, directly dealing with patients and with with the health issues that all of us are are facing. But there's you know, other voices. If this has been around since SARS, and I read that report 
uh, after SARS calling for such like this. Is this political? Nobody is willing to step up to, to provide this? I think that's a really good question. You know, it, it, it's not that we didn't have the roadmap. It wasn't that we had no idea of how we should deal with the pandemic. Uh, it wasn't that we didn't know that we needed, uh, you know, stores of proper respiratory protection. N95s was highly recommended. Yep. Uh, not rec it, was, it was one of the first things that there was recommended. There was a whole series of measures that were uh, pointed out were absolutely essential. And it wasn't that uh, the idea that a pandemic would happen wasn't on the horizon. We had report after report after report following the SARS commission that highlighted exactly these points. So why did we have this systemic failure? Why, why was with, you know, did, did the government ignore, in fact, go against the very principles? For me, I mean, from the research we've done, you know, they embraced, our view is that they embraced a policy of what we call neoliberalism. They, you know, they deregulated the economy. They stopped funding and defunded uh, our healthcare system, our education system, our social welfare system. They put more and more onus on the individual. So um, the social supports, the, the clear social policies that were needed to protect us as a society were not in place. They weren't supported. So you, and I think, you know, if we had listened, if, if, the, if the healthcare workers had been allowed to speak out, the, the long-term care uh, personal support workers and nurses were, were literally in tears in our, 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 our uh, research before the pandemic talking to us about the conditions of the residents and so on. So when the pandemic came out, my partner, Margaret Keith and I, we just said to each other, long-term care is going to be a disaster. The public was not aware. Why? Because people were intimidated, were threatened, fear of reprisals. They did not speak out. And I think that that, that is like a really important, I think what you're exploring is really important. It can't be said often enough that there's real consequences when you silence people like this. Well, and that's, I want to go to credibility right now. Uh, I, I think this impacts the credibility of the whole healthcare system. If doctors and nurses can be muzzled for just saying, this is, this is what we need more of, or, or this is not going right. You know, they are the health experts. They're not the bean counters, they're the health experts. And this is a healthcare situation. I, I think, that's, this is what I see. The credibility of the healthcare system is going to take a hit if doctors and, and, and nurses aren't free to speak about what's going on. Yes, I mean, you know, we're, we're one of the most underfunded, understaffed, under-resourced healthcare in Ontario uh, uh, systems, not just in the country, which we are as well, but internationally. We're like at the bottom of, of, of the uh, industrialized countries list in terms of, of proper funding and staff ratios to patients. One of the things, and I agree with you completely, say very quickly two things. You know, a few days ago in Hamilton, five or six um, personal support workers spoke out about what was going on in long-term care. They went to the media. The media had to, you know, uh, change, modulate their voices, had to, you know, they couldn't be identified. They went through a whole process. That should be telling that, I mean, there's two stories there, 
the the the, the uh, scandal of what's going on in long-term care a year into the pandemic that that our elderly citizens could be harmed and be in such risk and the other part of that story is that in order for for what the real conditions are to be made known these people had to hide their identity that you know these are these people risk their lives every day going into those workplaces and then they speak out they risk their jobs the vast majority are women the, in long-term care, they're, they're mostly drawn from racialized and immigrant communities. They're precarious workers. They don't have full-time jobs. And they put everything on the line to try to save their patients. And I think that reflected about the, 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 the real uh, commitment they have. And so, you know, for them to have, I think it was a, a very telling thing. And I think it, it needs to be said loudly that our healthcare system cannot manage public health and have such a repressive work environment where people fear speaking publicly for the public good. You know, we're in a pandemic. Obviously, uh, healthcare professionals are at a premium. They are needed doctors, nurses, everybody involved in that. But I, I wonder, the people in the front line, in harm's way, they can't speak their mind or fear of reprisal. So if you're a young person, why would you even go into a career like that and know that you're going to have to deal with a situation like that? That's you're not even be able to do your doctor or nurse position properly without somebody looking over your shoulder all the time. I, well, I think I think it's going to lead to a big drop in, in a number of doctors and, and nurses in this country. Well, I mean, we're already uh, hmm. you know uh, in a crisis for personal support workers, which make up the majority of the yes. long-term care facilities. This is before the crisis. But imagine if you have 20% of your healthcare workers suffering from infection already and such high levels of stress and burnout and, and, and demoralization. Like, <clears throat> I mean, it, 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 it doesn't speak well about the type of care that we're going to be able to get or the type of people that will go into these positions. Yeah, exactly. So we, we do have a, a common interest in, in protecting healthcare workers and hearing their voices. Jim, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ed. Thank you for doing this. Jim Brophy's adjunct assistant professor, Department of Sociology, Anthropology, and Criminology at the University of Windsor. I will admit it has been difficult to track down a doctor or nurse whom have dealt with this before and willing come to come forward and share their story. I had a lot of secondary uh, comments from doctors and nurses saying they know of something, but they couldn't really give a, a straight answer as to who would uh, come on and do that. But Doris Grinspun is the CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario, who has dealt with this in, in the past with her members, and she joins us now. And Doris, can you give us an example of muzzling or intimidation of your membership? Uh, so uh, this goes for nurses, doctors, and I'm sure other health professionals. Yep. Um, as of late, of course, it has been also in the media that some are coming forward and saying it. But I can tell you that any time I try to find a nurse to speak with the media, uh, I certainly need to spend more time than what you spend calling me and I go to the media. You see what yeah. I mean? No, I know. Uh, they need to go through hula hoops, quite frankly, uh, ask permission from every single you know, step in, in, their, in their organization to be able to speak with media, uh, even when they don't plan to provide specifics, even about, of course, never patients, right? But 
uh, even not the specific organization. Uh, so some, though, are coming forward, uh, and I'm absolutely encouraged by that. Um, and we are saying to nurses, if you're speaking outside of your organization uh, in your free time, uh, well, there is freedom of speech in this country, and as long as you're not speaking about propagating, you know, anti-masking, etc., which is against the public health rules, uh, we want you to speak because we need to fix whatever is going on um, in in your life as a nurse, as a nurse, because you have seen the toll that this is taking. I mean, I don't need to tell you the toll that this is taking uh, emotionally, physically, um, in the lives of nurses to 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 levels of stress that uh, are are very serious. You know, I, I'm wondering, and, and this goes back to SARS, right? We had the the, the commission afterwards talking about. Well, this. we had the commission. Sorry, yeah. I interrupt you. We had the commission, and remember who called for the commission? Oh yes, because it was me and RNO that called for the yeah. commission. And you may remember in that press release, press conference before we handed the papers to the office of the premier, uh, we had nurses with a mask that said "muzzle silenced." Uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, et cetera. Um, I think, I think is less, is more subtle today to what, it was pretty open during SARS, right? Pretty right. open. But I think what organizations, and you have heard some come forward and say that, what happens is with organizations, whether it's a hospital or a home care agency, they are quite frankly afraid themselves so they likely are hearing something uh, that their funding will be cut. Uh, so you saw a doctor recently that said that he, his position as, as a member of the senior management team of uh, the organization was, was you know, discontinued yeah. because the hospital was basically told you will de the funding will decrease. Um, uh, if that is happening, uh, that will be unconscionable. And I will tell you why. Whether it is a government of the day telling organizations don't go to the media or don't speak publicly, or whether it's organizations that tell workers, what we are doing is to the detriment of the public and also of public health measures, because basically what we are doing is closing the safety valve. It's like in your house, if there if there is, you know, you, you close the alarm, right? If the fire, uh, the fire or the alarm or whatever, you know, so you don't, I don't want to know if there is a fire. You know what I mean? Yeah. It really puts the public in danger. Okay. Now, why has the union not bargained for whistleblower protection for its membership? I think well, first of all, there is whistleblower protection even since the time of SARS in the... Um, in the Long-Term Care Act, so it's there. You can have whistleblower protection, you know, always, and there are ways that um, those that want to silence voices will, will find. If it's a casual nurse, you will get less hours. If it's a part-time, you may get less hours. Uh, there are ways that you will not get promotion. Whether, and, and by the way, for any of the professions, this is not only for nursing. Uh, the question is, why are we doing it as healthcare leaders, right? 
-hmm. when we know that the only way to to save lives and to improve the situation with this enemy, which is COVID, and not one and another, uh, is to push up, not down. Meaning, if a nurse or a doctor or an RT, respiratory therapist, are having difficulties because they're being doubled up with patients, as I am hearing from nurses now in, IC, in some ICUs, uh, or if a physician thinks uh, that the, the public health measure being implemented is insufficient, as I speak sometimes in the media when it's insufficient, uh, or if the work environment is toxic uh, in terms of support for mental health for the workers, not only nurses, but nurses, of course, that see every single day death in ICUs. You need more mental health supports for debriefing, or if they are not being paid the sick time when they're they need to self-isolate. All of these things are happening, by the way. Uh, we push up rather than down. So the nurse reports to the manager. The manager should be able to say that also to the senior manager, to the executive, and the board then should go to government and say we need more funding for this support rather than push down to silence, you see. Yeah, you, yeah, and you bring up a good, you, you said it very well, COVID is the enemy. It's not the each only other. enemy. Yes, yes, exactly. And what we are doing now, sadly and tragically, to the detriment of the public and of workers, because the stress is increasing, is that we are fighting enemies between uh, what did Dr. Fishman said, what did the others say, who is at fault, and you know what I mean, rather mm -hmm. than here is the problem, let's push up and let's work with government to put the resources because this is not for the next 10 years, it's for the next several months. And we better do what we need to do because if not, let me tell you, come March, we will have a third wave. Yeah, come yes. March, yeah. we will have a third wave if we don't work together against the enemy, which is COVID. Doris Grinspan joining us at the Unpublished Cafe. She's the CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario as we talk about uh, muzzling, uh, muzzling of doctors and, phys uh, and nurses by uh, healthcare administration. Uh, you know, I, I wonder about the impact on the healthcare system when, when the public takes a look at this and, and they see doctors and nurses being chastised for speaking about shortfalls and such. How confident, how much do you think this affects the confidence the public has in the healthcare system? Well, let me start with this. Uh, you saw the stories in uh, Queen's Park Briefing, the Toronto Star, the Toronto Sun, you name it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, radio about the fights between um, epidemiologists, which are scientists, right? and uh, government officials. Uh, you saw the fights, et cetera, et cetera. That is what starts to erode the public confidence, number one. That is number one what erodes public confidence. When the public starts to see government fighting with science, that's a no, 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 no. Look at south of the border, what happened when Trump was doing that. Look what happened what's happening with Brazil, look at, I don't need to tell you, it's all over the media that eroding public trust in that way is your first line of defense going down. Then when the public starts to become aware that doctors are being fired or nurses are being told don't speak up because funding can decrease or whatever it is, 
any of those underminings of one another versus let's together undermine this dumb virus because I'm furious about the virus. You know, erodes public confidence. We want the public to listen to the public health measures, to listen to the scientists, to listen to nurses and doctors that are begging them to stay home and only go out for essentials so we can take care of you if you need, right? That's mm -hmm. what we want. Not the, the political fights that have no place in, at this time. No place. That's the day, be, you know, the two months before elections do that, not now. Uh, do you consider those who come forward heroes? I don't consider anybody heroes. I consider any person that comes forward responding to the duty of being a full health professional. It is the duty of nurses. We are, we are the hands on care, the minds on care, the brains on care. We also are the same not only for individual persons or patients, as we call people in the hospital, you know, in the community that, that you and me, right? Mm -hmm. We are also the same for the health system. So it's part of their role, it's part of the role of the doctor, of the nurse, to absolutely speak out when they see issues that are of severe concern and that they need to be tackled because if not, at the end of the day, we are letting down the public. Doris, I want to thank you for joining us. You are very welcome, and I'm glad to, for the research that was conducted by our uh, colleagues in sociology. Doris Grinspan is the CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. And our unpublished.vote question asks, do you feel physicians and nurses need whistleblower protection? Yes, no, or unsure? You can log on right now and vote at unpublished.vote. I want to thank Jim Brophy at the University of Windsor and Doris Grinspan of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario for joining us. And I want to thank you for listening to the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.